0: Hi everyone, welcome to the March 4th, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DiZutti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right to it. Local caucus meetings for both Republicans and Democrats began in earnest this week as the 2022 election begins to get into gear. In endorsement news, Democratic candidate in the newly created 8th Congressional District, Yadira Caraveo, announced that she's received Congresswoman Diana DeGette's endorsement, while Republican U.S. Senate candidate Eli Bremer announced the endorsements from former GOP state legislative leaders. Patty Cahoon from Westward. We're still early in this process, but it seems like we're kind of getting into gear. Do you feel that some of these endorsements will actually mean some momentum for some of these candidates?
1: It's hard to tell right now. What really is makes a difference is the ground game. So you see that with the caucuses, which may seem really archaic and impossible to understand. You know, sometimes there are as many people sitting around at a caucus as are sitting at this table and probably making less sense if that's possible but you have people if they've got a good ground game they can go out they can be enthusiastic about their candidates they can push for those candidates they can get delegates who are going to the um, county assemblies and the district assemblies, and then ultimately the state assemblies. So it's possible if you have enough people pushing for you, you're going to be able to get on that primary ballot without having to spend the amount of money that others are spending to petition their way on, which is not easy, and that deadline's coming up too. So at a certain point, who you who is talking for you may sway people more, but now it's your next-door neighbor who might be swaying you. And that's part of the point of the caucuses.
0: David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Before the show got started we were kind of reminiscing about the the various uh, caucuses and assemblies in the past and we were also talking about how they may have been a little bit more influential in the past. What is the real influence of caucuses and the assemblies this year?
2: It ultimately leads to the people who will go to their uh, congressional district assemblies or the state assemblies, and that and they, that plays a hu- huge role on who gets on the ballot. If you don't get 30% of the state assembly, then you don't make the ballot unless you, you separately try to petition on. In uh, in the 8th the CD, uh, the endorsement from Dana DeGette, I think, will be influential. Uh, DeGette was before being elected to Congress, uh, served in the Colorado House of Representatives, in, in both bodies, she's been elected by her peers to leadership positions, and she endorsed the in the uh, eighth CD the one candidate Carveo, who is in the, currently in the state legislature. And I, if I were a voter up there, I would take that as a sign that that DeGette, who's very experienced, uh, has a good sense that this person would be an effective. Legislator in the Republican Senate primary as you say Eli Bremmer who's a uh, Air Force Academy graduate 14 years in the Air Force also an Olympic pentathlete uh, Has been picking up a lot of endorsements from former state legislators um, And others like uh, Ben Nighthorse Campbell uh, Who's also a former Olympic athlete and former US uh, senator from Colorado? Um, al- also picking up a lot of endorsements in that primary has been Gina Campania who's a a uh, Uh, city councilman uh, from Fort Collins. He's got lots of uh, elected official uh, endorsements to former uh, U.S. members of our congressional delegation. So those two seem to be coming out at the top on the uh, uh, credibility uh, that endorsements imply.
0: Eric Sodeman, longtime political analyst here at PBS 12 and columnist with Gazette Newspapers and Colorado Politics. Eric, let's stay with the endorsement side of things because I think, you know, we've been reminiscing a lot. I mean, I would say the old days, an endorsement might mean that folks who would be voting or influenced by a politician or another leader say that you would get their votes. Now it seems that an endorsement is almost more of a sign of momentum. What do you take away from the endorsement
3: news of what we know so far in these primary races? Well, I think it matters something. I don't think it matters everything. Patty stole my thunder with the word archaic. I mean, we've been talking about innovation this week. Joe Biden in his State of the Union speech mentioned a big innovation initiative. Obviously, we talk about the craziness in Denver public schools where... They want to innovate by getting rid of innovation or something. Uh, we need to innovate in our caucus, I mean, excuse me, our de- uh, candidate selection process here. You can't get more, much more anachronistic than the way we do this through caucuses. That said, these caucuses are probably maybe a little more important than they have been for a few years and the uh, assemblies that come out of the caucuses because the cost of petitioning on the ballot has gotten so expensive. So you have fewer candidates than you have seen in the last several cycles taking the petition route. Uh, Pam Anderson, Republican candidate for Secretary of State is doing it by petitions to sort of avoid the Trump wackiness at the state assembly. Uh, out of the entire field of Republican candidates for the U.S. Senate. I think it's like a nine-person field. You have one candidate, Joe O'Day, a Denver businessman, who is petitioning on. So he'll presumably be assured a seat on the primary ballot. But the other eight are going through the process. As David pointed out, you have to get 30 percent. You can only carve uh, 100 percent, you know, so many ways to get 30. In a lot of these races with multiple candidates, the Republican field for uh, Senate, uh, both parties field in the new 8th Congressional District, the Republican Party field in the 7th, you're going to have a whole lot fewer candidates a month from now than you have now because a lot of these candidacies will go by the wayside.
0: And joining us remotely, Ian thomas DeFoya. Ian, it's great to have you on the program again, uh, community organizer and involved in a lot of these different issues. You know, as we look at the caucus in the primary season, uh, neither party in Colorado is particularly unified. And usually it's your folks who are on the, uh, at least the, the, the more fervent edges of the party, both for Democrats and Republicans, are taking part in these caucuses. Uh, what effect do you think that might have in this particular season as we see a lot of wide-open contests?
4: Well, thanks again for having me. I think it's really important for us to understand that <clears throat> post-pandemic, uh, there's just so much change. People had so many opinions that bubbled up. I think that's what you're seeing: this people feeling called to lead. I do agree that petition process isn't the easiest, but I honestly prefer that. If the listeners who know me, I you know I've gone and collected lots of uh, signatures for lots of petitions here, both at the state level and in the local level. You know, the caucus does seem a little outdated, if you ask me. The fact is, they were able to do this thing, either hybrid or virtually. They chose not to here in Denver, but yet the state party is going to be virtual. What I've learned in my organizing across the state, in particular, is this uh, new pathway that we've created with virtual engagement is an important tool for increasing public participation. We've seen record turnout Uh, for all sorts of public comment through these virtual options. And so I hope that that continues to be a part of the thinking as we move forward uh, for both sides of the aisle.
0: A small group of Colorado Republicans, not to be confused with the Colorado Republican Party officially, filed a lawsuit this week against the state of Colorado to disallow unaffiliated voters from participating in the primary election in June. David, we start with you on this one. The lead attorney on this lawsuit is John Eastman, who has made uh, his name known in a lot of other uh, issues, including uh, things involved January 6th. Uh, Realizing it is a small group of Republicans that is still being uh, pushed as a question, should unaffiliated voters be involved in primaries, even though it's been approved by all the voters in the state? Do you think this is going to... Uh, bring the argument to all rep- Republicans in Colorado, even though it's represented by a small group of people.
2: Well, the, the group of, of several plaintiffs, which includes some some local party chairs, this is a lawsuit that was specifically authorized by the Republican State Central Committee. So, even though it's not in the name of the Colorado Republican Party, it it, it is authorized by them. And in terms of First Amendment law, I think it makes a uh, a, a good point. A, a political party is a voluntary association and members of that association ought to have the right to choose who their candidates are going to be. You can make, and Eric probably will, a political argument that if you let independents vote in the primary then you get a candidate who's got a better chance of winning the general election. That, that That's fine, but that ought to be up to the choice of the organization and a state law should not force voluntary associations to have People choose their leaders who aren't even members of the association. But and, and now, as you say, um, the the attorneys are Randy Corpern who's a uh, local Colorado attorney. He's been involved in lots of cases. And John Eastman, who up until about December 1st, uh, 2019, was, uh, 2020, was a, a very well-respected uh, constitutional litigator and scholar. And uh, in, in my view, his... Uh, bad advice uh, on the Electoral Count Act was was reprehensible, I, I don't know if that will affect how the judge views the case or not.
0: Eric, a lot of angles on this one, but I guess, again, it's about the power of unaffiliated voters. This is 40 percent of the electorate in Colorado, so it is not insignificant. So you can understand the point on both sides. But I think the fact that it was a law passed, not you know just by something in the legislature, this was passed by voters. You're, you're arguing with the voters of the state when you're arguing against this. Do you think that's
3: going to come into play in this lawsuit? Well, I'd suggest, Dominic, that this is really about two things. One, you mentioned, yes, it is about the power and rights of unaffiliated voters. But secondly, it is about the death wish of some in the Republican Party. I mean, David sort of previewed where I was going to come down on this. You cannot get much more Trumpian or closer connected to the former president than John Eastman and Randy Corporate. Uh So you consider the sources here the Colorado Republican Party has been on a distinct losing track record with only the rarest of exceptions now for 18 years, if they want to continue to make this a smaller and smaller, more exclusive and exclusive, more Trumpy and Trumpy club, well, good luck to them. This is a year of, probably in this 18-year period, unprecedented opportunity for Colorado Republicans just due to the national wave that many people anticipate. Moves like this, as you pointed out, Dominic, this was the the, the measure to allow independents to participate in either party's primary at their choice. It was passed by the voters of the state, and it was not a close passage. It was an overwhelming passage. Independents want to participate, and more importantly, voters of all parties, independent, Republican and Democrat, voted to let independents participate. So let's leave well enough alone.
0: In unaffiliated voters are just as diverse as any other group of Coloradans. There's conservatives, there's liberals, there's moderates. It's not as if they would think as or vote as one block, uh, but obviously they're in uh, the crosshairs in this lawsuit. How, what do you think is going to happen with at least the approach to unaffiliated voters uh, after we see the details of this lawsuit?
4: Well, I think if it's successful, there's going to be a lot of voters who are disappointed and they're going to have to figure out what to do next. You know, not an attorney there, but I do know that when I look back on these percentages, they're really high. In the way that people uh, wanted to go about selecting. You know, I myself voted for that because I had so many friends and I had spent time in my life as an independent wanting to participate um, to work in this. I'll tell you what I think is really disheartening is to just continue to see this Republican narrative and agenda of trying to put something into the media to keep the limelight. Um, you know. Also, I think probably to to get away from the conversation that they're having about their January 6th, the lawsuits I believe Eastman has against the university, you know, it's easier to keep going on something else than pay attention. I wish they would just sit down and focus on what the working class people, what people need in the recovery after this. Uh, With air quality, water quality, housing, we have so many problems, and it'd be nice if they would focus on those issues and bring those messages to me and other voters in Colorado.
0: I'm not sure if a lot of Democratic leaders would agree with you on that one, only because the, the, the more and more they talk about other issues and not actual things that people are worried about, that seems that they seem a little bit more distracted. But I understand your point. As a voter, I get that. Uh, Patty, uh, this is about a pretty popular thing to do in Colorado, being unaffiliated. I think people, a lot those 40 percent, take a lot of pride in it. Do you think there'll be some defensiveness from folks who's like, well, wait a second, I want to keep my right to vote in whatever election I want. How do you think this
1: is going to go down? It's not just that people in Colorado like to be independent or think they like to be independent and unaffiliated in this case. They're concerned about the major parties. Why should these two major political parties get the get all the attention in the primary? Why should we, the state be paying for a lot of this? It's a dissatisfaction not just with the rep- current status of the Republican Party, but the major parties at all, which seem to have such a lock that you are never going to have an independent or a third party candidate really be able to rise to the surface. Although we saw that was not the case when Tom Tancredo did very well in the gubernatorial race. But I think people are unaffiliated because they want—they don't want to declare. They're upset with the major parties, and they're going to be upset with this. Uh, I'm assuming Eastman's logic won't work any better in this court than it did convince, when he tried to persuade Mike Pence that he could overturn the election and that Donald Trump was really um, our new president. But I think if unaffiliateds will stand up and be very more upset than they are, and I think they're upset with those major parties now.
0: The Douglas County School Board announced that it is considering two finalists for its open superintendent position: Aaron Kane and Danny Windsor. Kane was the interim superintendent the last time a conservative majority held the majority on the board from 2016 to 2018. Eric, we start with you on this one. You know, this process of finding a superintendent in Douglas County has gone faster than the drive-through lane at Chick-fil-A, which <laughs> people in Douglas County know is pretty darn fast. Is that going to be a problem?
3: I think it is a problem i've been outspoken on this one uh dominic let me be very clear i think the majority on the douglas county board is within its rights to have a superintendent of their choosing to have a superintendent who aligns with them philosophically we've seen that in other districts and jeffco in denver the board majority they are elected by the voters <laughs> wisely or not they are elected they can have a superintendent of their choosing Yet they are, as, so they're right on that, but they have been dead wrong in terms of the process by which they have handled it. There needs to be more openness. There needs to be more transparency. That's all water under the bridge. At a bare minimum, there should have been compliance with open meeting laws and sunshine laws and all the rest. And now having sent that superintendent packing, which was their ability to do, it should have been a more deliberate and somewhat slower, contemplative, and open process where there's community input into hiring this new superintendent. Most of the money is on Erin Kane, who was the interim superintendent before. It's presumably been set up from her from the get go. If they want to appoint Erin Kane, who is an accomplished woman, that's within their right, but there's a Governance sometimes involves optics and involves process, and they would have been advised, it's too late now, they would have been advised to take a breath and slow down. Ian, uh, one of the few issues that actually
0: unite this board is their desire to have some sort of stability, but will the speed of this process add stability or instability for Douglas County?
4: Well, I can't say how well this board is going to work going forward with the superintendent, but I would agree, you know, this is one of the fastest processes I've ever seen. And I got to say, your joke was pretty funny there about Chick-fil-A. You know, I've been a pioneer, I think, with a lot of activists here in Denver, trying to push to create opportunities for the community to actually have uh, interviewing, to put them into town halls, to have conversations with these people. You know, if I had my pick, just looking at them, they're both qualified. You um, know, Windsor was a teacher. He spent time in the classroom and as a counselor. I think those are really important things when it comes to running a school. It does sound like Kane was connected from the stories I read early on, um, contacted early on. While all these problems were happening, I would say the Bobby, the money's there. But I think it ends to have more problems in the end when you don't do the public procedure well. And actually, when they fired them, they didn't allow public comment either. And so I think that's going to spell disaster long term. I hope they can get it together and make more opportunities for people to participate.
0: Patty, uh, can either of these candidates, once one of them is named the superintendent, bring stability to a situation that has been far from it?
1: No. I mean, I think that's almost impossible to imagine, because you have Kane that was suggested that she heard that Wise was going before he heard it. You have how he was let go and the lawsuits that are coming from that now. So even if the new superintendent is in place quickly, you're going to have lawsuits that are going to continue to come up. You're going to have some of the board members subpoenaed through all this. So it is not going to be, let's just say it's not going to be a great lesson in civics for the students in Douglas County, but it's certainly gonna be fun for those of us watching who don't live in Douglas County and patronize that (laughs) Chick-fil-A.
0: Oh, there's a lot of Chick-fil-A's <laughs> that patronize in Douglas County. Let me make sure I can uh, hit that. Uh, David, uh, Douglas County Schools is the third largest district in the state. Uh, they're influential, uh, whether it was this particular board or other boards in the past. It, it, will this process of getting the superintendent um, dog the whoever is the future superintendent and their ability to continue that uh, I guess influence that this, this uh, county has had in the past?
2: Well, folks who want to follow this, March 10th is the the next big meetings and so if you want to go on the internet and and, and watch all the fun yourself after you pick up your Chick fil A and come home and sit, sit in front of your computer you can have a a great time on the, the eve of uh, next week's uh, CIO show uh, I think they as had, had, I think we all agree they they have two very well qualified candidates and uh, Aaron Kane actually served in this position for two years as interim superintendent and by what I've heard so far did a good job and again there was political contention before she came in and remember even though the superintendent sort of is, is responsible to the board the superintendent spends most of his or her time managing the district on a, on a day-to-day basis so the optimistic thing is the board finally voted 7-0 across the political divide to advance these two candidates as the finalists. And I think they set themselves up for a choice between two good ones.
0: Let's get a quick take on this last one. Boulder County is struggling to make progress on the cleanup from the Marshall Wildfire. While county officials have named a company to handle the cleanup, a final agreement has yet yet to be signed, and there are pending lawsuits and complaints about the bidding process. Meanwhile, both Louisville and Superior are considering uh, looking at recently passed green building codes as optional for homeowners to decide to rebuild. Who decide to rebuild? Ian, we start with you on this one. You've worked with a lot of these different kinds of issues, whether it be green building codes or just how this bidding process can go, but it seems that speed is important here. What needs to be considered as we're looking at these issues up in Boulder County?
4: Well, I found this story to be so fascinating, in particular when you're talking about the amount of money. The cleanup is $52 million. I think there are a lot of people who are questioning how government funds are being spent when so much resources are coming. We saw this even with the State of the Union when President Biden announced they were gonna go after fraud from the COVID era, right? I think the thing that raised my eyebrows is that one of the people who is actually suing used to be the director of FEMA. Um, So, I and they said they were concerned about whether dollars would be fully reimbursed. I think those are really important things. As far as the electrical codes go, you know, there's a lot of resources that are available to them. There's a lot of financial literacy that needs to be done here to help people advance their codes. I think ironically, to save the resources, they're gonna cut out fire sprinklers. I think uh, the new code is an incredibly important thing. I know a lot of people testified for it. I know that the State of Colorado Energy Office gave some suggestions about what it would cost, but the the change in numbers from $100,000 to do it the right way from home builders to $5,000 from the Energy Office, I think those numbers and financial literacy need to be shaken loose.
0: Patty, uh, are you surprised by the lack of progress, and does this spell bigger problems down the road?
1: It certainly does. I don't know why they don't just get the Douglas County School Board up there. If they can move so fast. All those houses would be rebuilt by now. They might not last long, but they'd be rebuilt. You know, any time Michael Brown comes out again, Brownie, um, the former FEMA head who was involved with Katrina, You know, he knows, he might not have had a good time back then with George Bush, but he knows how disasters can really impact people's lives and what you need to do to do it right. So it's interesting that he's involved in this lawsuit, Um, that, that people have recused themselves all over Boulder from the issues because there's so much going on. And we are talking tens of millions of dollars that have been donated by people where's that money going and the accounting for that so this is not going to clean up quickly both physically and mentally
0: david as a resident of boulder county you're very familiar with its officials and how it goes about the business what needs to happen
2: Well, point number one on financial literacy is the crony capitalists using the power of government do everything they can to take the money out of everybody's pocket and put it into theirs philip morris is one example where they stood aside on raising the cigarette tax to just at minimum price of cigarettes to just the right level to cut out all their generic competitors. Excel, the greatest extractor of money, uh, an important natural resource uh, from everyone else's pocket. The Excel thing, which fortunately the Superior Board uh, of uh, City Council Did not implement would be to force extreme standards on all rebuilding which insurance wouldn't pay for because insurance doesn't pay for you to buy a better house It, it replaces the one you had things like everybody has to have passive solar nobody's allowed to have reliable natural gas and every every play every garage has to have a electric vehicle charging station. And as Ewan was saying, the estimates of the extra cost imposed by this are up to 100000 certainly in the tens of thousands. And Excel's promise is, oh, we might be able to get permission from the legislature to pick everybody else's pocket and give you 7500 in compensation.
3: I imagine we'll be talking a little bit more about this uh, moving forward. But uh, Eric, wrap it up for us. Oh, let me try to be quick. You would think a natural disaster like this would be a time to come together. Maybe there's still that opportunity, but at a minimum, we shouldn't make it even more costly for these folks to rebuild. At a minimum, we should get contracts out the door quickly. And at a minimum, when people think they're donating to a community fund that is going to be benefiting, directly benefiting the victims of this disaster, that's where the money should be going.
0: Time for our very, favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As
1: always, Ms. Calhoun, start us off. I have to go there. The mean girls, including Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, just misbehaving badly at the State of the Union.
2: David. As a famous poster from the 1960s said, war is not healthy for children and other living things. And that's certainly true for the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. That invasion was paid for and financed because of the irrational and irresponsible, short-sighted approach that has been forced on the West by environmental extremists to not use our own fossil fuels and not even to allow us to use nuclear power, which is completely green up and down the line.
3: Eric. Well, I'm going to the same place David went in terms of the war. This is something we really haven't seen, maybe the Balkan Wars, but that Europe and much of the world has not seen since World War II. This is serious, it's tragic, it's a hugely consequential and a particular disgrace to people in the U.S. Fortunately, they are a small minority who are finding ways to equivocate here, are finding ways to be less than vocal in their total support of the Ukraine, are finding ways to rationalize Putin's behavior. And we go to you for your Disgrace
4: of the Week. My disgrace of the week was the parliamentary disaster that was moving forward the camping ban in Aurora. To see freedom be taken away with such poor parliamentary procedure was really disappointing. To not learn from the lessons of Denver, that's our regional leadership, I'd say shame too to Mayor Michael Hancock. We don't have enough shelters. We know this system isn't working. And I would ask that we would rethink these kind of policies.
0: Time to see something nice. One minute left. Patty.
1: Tomorrow's the second anniversary of the first COVID case in Colorado. The only bright spot out of that, all the public meetings we now have access to remotely.
2: David. Advance Colorado, which is a public interest law firm, bringing a federal case against Colorado's campaign contribution limits, which are extremely low by national standards. And because regular regular candidates can't raise money in the normal way, it gives the advantage uh, to the centimillionaires who can self-fund.
3: Eric with tongue firmly in cheek, to Lauren Boebert. She has brought new meaning to the word multitasking. She was not only able to tweet nonstop through that speech, and I mean multiple tweets a minute, but she found time and ability and resource within herself to also heckle the president. That's a rare accomplishment. Ian, you're saying something nice.
4: I wanna say thank, I wanna say thank you to all the advocates who worked so diligently on financial assurances and also to the senators of Colorado for sending letters and moving on policy to cap our wells, um, to get this problem together as the International Panel for Climate Change came forward this week to say how much work we had to do. We're seeing leadership from Colorado and pushing people to do the right thing. I wanna remind people that they've announced um, this is the worst possible drought since year 800, which is by the way, when the people evacuated Messe Verde.
0: And I'll give a quick shout-out. Remember, if you're looking for up-to-date news on Ukraine, DW News available on 12.3 and every day at 4.30 here on PBS 12. Thanks to your support. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.